Welcome into the Titan Size Podcast. I'm Luke Horsham, joined by one of the other two hosts of the Titan Size Podcast, Matthias Wadner. Will is on vacation with his wife and his son this week, uh, so it's just going to be the two of us uh, for the next two episodes for our recap of the Eagles game, which is what this is, and our preview of the Buffalo Bills that will be later in the week. Later in this episode, we will be joined by Tra- first Travis Haney of The Athletic, and then uh, Rhett Bryan, who is the executive producer and game day host for Titans Radio. Since Will's not here, we decided we would sort of fill the empty void with a couple of guests for today's episode. Um, Will picked a bad week to miss because we get to <laughs> recap a really fun game. Yeah, that was genuinely awesome. Um, and I'm just I'm glad we pulled away with the win, um, even though I to the game with with very high hopes just because the eagles are such a such a such a balanced team and i mean they're they're the reigning super bowl champions uh but to come away with that victory uh be three and one leading the division and just getting that 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 signature win uh so this early in the season is just awesome and and, you know you you absolutely nailed it calling it a signature win these are the kinds of games, not the blowouts. Like you're supposed to, you know, like when you beating the Browns 54 to nothing means nothing. Means <laughs> nothing. Games like these against big time opponents. And let's not sit here and act like, oh, Carson Wentz is still getting back in the groove of things. No, he's not. He was really good yesterday. Like after watching Deshaun Watson, the 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 quarterbacks that I've watched in person this season have been Mariota. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jameis Winston, all right, Trevor Simeon in that, that preseason game, <laughs> then Watson, and then then Wentz. And I can honestly say that of all those of of all the ones, the two best were on the field in yesterday's game. But yeah, Carson Wentz yeah. played well. I was yeah, I, I was going back highlights today. Um, and I was just I was just thinking about it. Wentz was really good, and he, he is really good. Uh, he's going to be fantastic for quite a while, and um, the the quarterbacks I've seen in person, at least over the past um, past year or so, I saw Derek Carr uh, when we played the Raiders. Uh, he was very good in that game, but he had all the time in the world, and our pass defense wasn't exact exactly up to now. Zach Mettenberg and, and then won I, that game. He just stood there. The yeah. Game. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. And then I saw Bortles uh, in that Jaguars <laughs> game week seventeen. <laughs> And, that was, and you that saw was, you saw Goff too. Did you? You may have mentioned that. Oh yeah, I did see Goff. Yes. Yeah, that is true. He he was very good. Although he really just uh, d- uh, dumped the ball off to Gurley on on a couple screen passes, and he took him eighty yards every time. That was. Uh, let me. Just, I mean, we talk about it all the time, but that Todd Gurley performance was one of the best I've ever seen in person. Probably the best football performance I've seen in person. Yeah. Um. And the Eagles were impressive yesterday. And I think it showed, number one, that the Titans can beat a good team at their best. There aren't going to be any games this year where, you know, Titans go in, like last year's game in Pittsburgh, where everyone just kind of had a funny feeling that the Titans were going to get demolished in that game. Like, I just don't see that happening this year. Yeah, and when we went down 17-3, to I was just like, this just this feels over just because I've seen this so many times before where the Titans just can't come back in the games um, and they just responded immediately uh, got seven points back and then got 17 unanswered points 
Uh, and then we pulled off a classic Titans move, giving up that long punt return uh, and oh, letting yeah. the, the Eagles get a get a field goal uh, to tie the game. But it just just fantastic. It really showed the character of the team to come back in this game. And then even when they when they gave up gave up the lead, uh, went down three points in overtime. They just they made the right plays, the plays they needed to make. Uh, and I, I think that goes a lot back to coaching, but um, but there were a lot of player performances that that deserve their credit, particularly uh, Marcus Mariota. Um, you know from working with Miami FC that like the cardinal rule of being in the press box is like you don't cheer, and there was no cheering that went on yesterday. But there were a lot of very audible gasps, some hands on heads some pay, people pacing. I was pacing. I didn't know what to do. I mean, just that game, and I'm talking about both teams' media. Philadelphia media was feeling that way. Titans media was feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Just because it was such a good football game, regardless of who your your affinity is for. Yeah, I mean, I was on the edge. Of, and uh, it's funny that you bring that up because I've had, so many, I've had a couple of games – uh, particularly we played uh, Atlanta United in, in the Open Cup. I know no one cares about soccer, but it, it was an important game. And uh, we scored a, a literally last-second goal to win the game, and we were all trying to like just keep it together, but it was really hard. <laughs> but uh, since it was Miami and it, it, it was soccer, no one really cared that, that we were cheering a little bit, but we tried to keep it together. But I, I agree. That was just so exciting. Uh, and to be able to have those types of games uh, – teams of the caliber of the Philadelphia Eagles. It's been a long time since we've been able to say that. And it's just because, I mean, this is a team we love. We just want this team to be good. And it finally just seems to all there. Even though we went out and seven the past two seasons, uh, we just never felt like a really good team uh, that could beat any other team in the league. And right now it does feel that way. So before we get to uh, Travis and uh, and Rhett, there are a couple topics from the game I want to discuss. Let's start on the defensive side of the ball. Let's talk about the good first. Uh, this defense, in my opinion, is one of the best in the NFL, personnel-wise. And, and it's so impressive because I think we all, you know, we looked at the roster week one and we were like, well, you know, there's a lot of pass rushers. you got Landry Morgan, Rackpo, Correa, Finch. Uh, you got Casey on the inside who can do damage. You've got a lot of really good inside linebackers, Woodyard, Brown, Evans, Compton. You've got a lot of corners. You know, Sims is your fourth best corner, and on some teams he might be a starter. Then you've got an all-pro in the secondary. You've got a former first-round pick in Bacaro in the secondary. But so many times when you see that, it just doesn't end up working out. Like the, the unit just for whatever reason cannot work together and cannot play together. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. All of these talented players are complementing each other so well. Yeah, they're all just meshing very well. Uh, and it sucks to see Kenny Vaccaro, who's going to be out for a couple of weeks, because he was a really important part part of this defense, just doing a little bit of everything uh, from that strong safety position. Uh, but I think this team has has the pieces to, to be just fine with them for the next couple of weeks. Uh, they're the sixth best uh, scoring defense in the league. They're only giving up 18 points per game. Uh, and they've done it against the Eagles with Carson Wentz. Uh, the in two of four games, and maybe three or four games, have just exploded on offense. Um, and then the Texans, who with Deshaun Watson, has been putting up passing numbers. Uh, we we stifled him, and uh, this defense just really seems legit. I know they they drive me crazy sometimes, just because they give up a lot of easy. Comp- 
positions uh, that that are really short, uh, and they they're missing a lot of tackles. If they just clean up the tackle, they miss in this game. Uh, I I know they played against Jai Alshon and uh, Zach Ertz. They're fantastic players. Oh, Jai. Like, oh I had I had a pretty mild opinion of him going into this game. I'm like, yeah, he's pretty average. That dude was, like, untackleable. Like, I was telling you last night, like, I would watch him in, with, with, like, four Titans around him, and he's going mm-hmm. to the ground, and I, his legs are still, like, marching on. I'm like, what in the world? Like, it's no wonder he made he's, the Pro Bowl with the Dolphins. Yeah, he's like a, he's like a pimp. When they brought in Wendell Smallwood, he was making guys miss also. He was running through people. I, I, I was very surprised, um, but I really shouldn't be because the Eagles are one of the most talented uh, rosters in the league. But uh, as I was saying, just if we clean up those missed tackles, uh, I think we're going to easily continue to be a, a top five to seven defense uh, in the league because we're already there, uh, and we just have to clean up a few things. Um, one of which also we, uh, we we haven't talked about it, but Malcolm Butler got beat deep yeah, that, again. Yeah, that's where I was going to head next. You can go ahead and hop into that. Yeah, it's just it just can't keep happening. I mean, this is three out of four weeks that he's been beating for a long touchdown. Um, like and this one was Matthews Jordan Matthews of all people. Yeah, he's not even fast. I mean, I, I, he might have run like a maybe uh, four mid four fours maybe at the combine. Jordan Matthews was what people said was Corey Davis's floor when he was a draft pick. Yes, correct. I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't mind Jordan Matthews, but you should never be be getting beaten deep by Jordan Matthews. Will Fuller and Kenny Stills, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a pass because he was he was kind of right there, uh, but this one he just got he just got beat. He kind of hesitated uh, once Matthews uh, cut a little bit inside on on that skinny post route. So I'm not sure if he was expecting the safety to be there, um, but it, I mean it's on him and, and keep happening because Dory Jackson and Logan Ryan. Um, they've been they've been pulling their weight. They've been really good to start this season. And, and if Butler could just get on their level, this defense could take even another step. I want to talk about a couple parts of the offense too. Really, three parts. We're going to talk about Mariota, Davis, and Derrick Henry. Three very polarizing players for the Titan Side <laughs> podcast over the last yeah. month or so. Uh, let's start with Mariota and work our way down to people we like the least. Um, because I don't think, and I've been clear about this, I'm not a Mariota hater. I, I, I think he's a fine quarterback. I just worry when I see plays like the one he had yesterday at the end of the first half. Yeah. The phantom interception that is just unexplainable. Like, what in the world happened? Like, I don't know what happened. I don't, I don't think he was asked about it after the game just because there was so much else to talk about. But, like, it, it just floated on him. And But anyway... Here's Mariota, right? He is. If he didn't have his legs, he he wouldn't be a good quarterback. But you cannot say Mariota is not a good quarterback because he can't win from the pocket. Because guess what? That's that's never been his game, and he doesn't have to win from the pocket. That's like saying that um, Stephen Jackson back when he played for the Rams, I mean, and he was a multi-time Pro Bowler. That's like saying, mm-hmm. well. And he's a pretty good power running back, but I mean, could he outrun Chris Johnson? Like, it's it's a fallacy. It just doesn't make any sense. And so Mariota may not be the prototype, stand in the pocket, read the defense, step up and throw, but he doesn't have to be because he he his his legs are a weapon, 
And it's part of what makes him such a good quarterback. And we saw that yesterday with him. When he uses his legs and when he has his arm, when he has both those things, he's a pretty good quarterback. Yeah, and they kind of used to say the same thing about Adrian Peterson uh, as the NFL got more more modernized, um, that he just didn't contribute as a pass catcher. Well, so what? He's going to give you 1,500 yards on the ground for the year, so does it really matter? Um, and, and yeah, we, we see this with quarterbacks all the time when they're coming out of draft classes. Uh, everyone's like, but can he be a pocket quarterback? Can he throw from the pocket? Who cares? If he's a dual threat quarterback, the the point of the dual is that he can beat you outside of the pocket. And if that's where he's better, then utilize him like that or just let him be that. Uh, and I think Mariota has been able to do that, and, and the offense is kind of letting him do that. He's creating a lot of plays on his own, uh, but even when he's not, he's making the proper reads. He's getting the ball out really quickly. And um, I, I know that there's there was always this um, false assumption that Mariota wasn't a good deep ball thrower. Uh, I don't know when that manifested itself, to be honest. Uh, but yesterday was one of the best deep-throwing displays I've ever seen from him. He was pinpoint on nearly all of his deep throws. Uh, should have hit Darius Jennings when he dropped that one at the end. Hit Corey Davis for a huge 51-yarder. And had a couple that were in between 30 to 40 yards, I think. And he just looked so good. And not to mention his running ability. I mean, his legs are perfectly healthy. Um, and he, he's just, he just picks up chunks, chunks of yards on the ground that are so beneficial to the offense. Uh, he, I can't he turned, remember. What was it? Third, he turned third and 19 into fourth and three. Fourth and one. Or fourth yeah, and yeah, yeah, something like that. It, that was, I mean, that was such a big play in the game. If we were, if we would have gotten faced with a fourth and 10, I, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. We might've not won that game or we would have had to kick the field goal. I'm not sure. It would have been like a. I don't even know, like a 55-yard. Yeah, he's just – he's really starting to feel more comfortable in the offense, I think. Uh, and, and if he can use his legs like this, uh, it just gives a whole d- new dynamic to the to the offense. So as we work our way down on the list of players that I've – really <laughs> we've criticized the most, we move on to Corey Davis as the second of the three. Um Wow, just what a performance from him yesterday. We'll, we'll talk some more about this with, with Travis Haney when he comes on, but Corey just looked so good. He looked like a number one receiver. And, you know, the thing, the funny thing has been, you know, what I've been saying is, you know, when, when Julio Jones joined the Falcons, you immediately watched him and you're like, okay, that guy's going to be good. Mike Evans had 1,000 yards in his rookie season. A.J. Green was a 1,000-yard receiver in his rookie season. All of these – Odell Beckham had a freakish rookie season. You know, you look at all these number one receivers, and they just kind of burst onto the scene, like, right away. But with mm-hmm. Corey Davis, we just haven't seen it. And he absolutely exploded against the Eagles and looked like a number one receiver. Yeah, when he was coming out of college, I, I think the comp that we kind of – was more so Des Bryant uh, than Julio, yeah, uh, but he displayed a couple of flashes of this Julio escability in college. Well, he he uh, particularly Jalen Mills the whole game. Oh my God, no, well Jalen Mills is is not good. But anyway, uh, that that fifty one yard catch was what reminded me of Julio Jones just splitting the defense right through the middle on a deep play, uh, and we've seen him after the catch. 
against the Jaguars and against the Texans. He did it a couple times uh, where he catches the ball. He makes a couple of guys miss and gets like 10, 10 yards after the catch, something that a wide receiver one is supposed to do. And I just I think he's morphing into that guy. I, I'm not going to say getting rid of Rashard Matthews, which was like a weight off his shoulders. Yeah, because uh, I think that I don't think that's true. <laughs> yeah, because Rashard wasn't really a huge part of the offense. Uh, but I think we're just re- we're just really going to funnel the entire passing offense through him and then just give the other complimentary guys targets every now and then. Um, although Taewon Taewon also had a good game. He caught 77 uh, seven passes for 77 yards and had that huge fourth and 15 play. So um, I think we're kind of we're kind of seeing the young guys grow up a little bit, uh, which is really needed. And, and you know, th- this was a point that the three of us made uh, prior to training camp. I think we talked about this on our training camp preview because one of the big stories going into training camp was would these young receivers, after the Titans didn't add anybody in the offseason, be able to own their roles? And the point I kept coming back to was the reason that the NFL draft exists is you don't just draft a player, you draft a contract. You get four years of cheap play. If it's a first-round pick, you get five years of cheap play. And at a certain point, you have to use that cheap play. You can't leave the guys on the bench in favor of free agents you're paying $10 million to because that's how teams get themselves in this endless cycle of cap problems and being average. And credit to John Robinson. He he absolutely understands that clearly. And the players are, are, are owning up to what they're being asked to do. It's not just Davis. It's it's Taewon Taylor. It's Tajay Sharp. Guys like that. Yeah, I, I was actually going to mention because I, I've been kind of critical of him uh, at times this season just because I, I don't think he's been very good. He played well in this game and made a huge touchdown catch, had a fantastic route just dusted Sidney Jones. Sidney Jones had no chance. He thought he was going outside. He cut back inside, and Mariota found him easily. Um, but, I mean, Tajay Sharp's a fifth-round pick. He's one of the cheapest players on the team. Um, and the fact that we've gotten the type of production that we have from him uh, from his rookie year to this one, I, you can't even count last year because he was injured all of it. But, I, I mean, that's a good value for a fifth-round pick. Most fifth-round picks get cut uh, in, like, Within a span of like a year, so I, I like you said, it's a testament to John Robinson and, and just just good drafting, smart drafting. Yeah, and now we move into another draft pick of the Tennessee Titans. Oh, okay. We need not. we need to talk about Derrick Henry. Yeah, we you, do. You, you remember it because this was this was back when I wrote for Titan Sized. When I wrote the article, mm-hmm. it was simply titled Derrick Henry needs to be better or something like that and i got hammered like how dare i say that well yeah i i've watched him and and some of these people i don't know have and you know what i'm seeing less and less of this you know alabama fan calls into the radio station says i need to give the ball to Derrick henry more roll you know i don't see that anymore because i think everyone is starting to see what I saw a year and a half ago, which is that something needs to change with Derrick Henry if he wants to have success in the NFL. And he has, except for that one game against the Kansas City Chiefs, he has yet to change it. Every time you give the ball to Derrick Henry, I'm pretty sure this, like if they made a new, like a Bible 2.0, this would be in there. Every time you give the ball to Derrick Henry in the red zone, it's a wasted play. Right? 
And, and really, every time you give it to him inside, anywhere else on the field, it's a wasted play. He just, he's so baffling because he's so fast, especially when he picks up steam, and he's so hard to tackle when he's in the open field. But if he's not in the open field, he's absolutely useless. Yeah, he, he, he can't break tackles in, in short areas. It's just, it's, it's baffling, and it's very frustrating. I mean, I tweeted yesterday, uh, we need to stop giving Henry the ball. And it was kind of a, a half-and-half mixed reaction. I think some people was, were saying, thought that I was saying, like, never give him the ball again. No, but yesterday, he shouldn't have gotten the ball for the rest of the game after, oh no, I, th- I think we had gotten into the red zone, and we just ran a play right, and we lost three yards. Uh, and it was just, I, I, I can't do this anymore. I've been one of his apologists uh, for miles, but over the eight regular season games he has an average more than 3.2 yards per carry and it's just it's unacceptable uh from a second round pick that you're expecting to be your feature back he's just not that i i know i can i can say that our run blocking hasn't been great we've pretty good fronts that is true but he can't be this bad he needs to make people miss he needs to have better better lateral agility um and he just needs to play better he said but he needs to play more aggressive he needs to play more physical he's just kind of playing soft right now and it's really it feels like every other week i scroll through my twitter timeline and see jim wyatt wrote a story about how derrick henry says he needs to play better yeah at one point at what point do the coaches just say like you're right you're terrible go sit on the bench I mean, if he himself is admitting that he's terrible, why are we even playing him? I don't know. I think the problem is. I mean, Dion hasn't been that much better. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. He hasn't been very productive. But I mean, the product kind of looks better when he's out there, I will say. Like, it's not like Derrick Henry who just kind of wobbles around and then falls. Yeah, no, I agree. And at least he can can catch the ball. Although Henry had one. Screen pass. Here's the last thing about Henry before we move on. We're not going to argue about whether he's a bust or not because I still think it's way too early to talk about that. you got to wait till Mm -hmm. the end of this season. Um, Would you rather, on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills, have as your starting running back right now Derek Henry or Adrian Peterson? Peterson. I probably would too. At 34 years old, who was picked off the street about a month ago? Yeah. And that, Peterson and, runs with anger. He actually wants to go hit people, truck them, and he's averaging 4.2 yards to carry. So. I mean, something about those Oklahoma running backs. Like, DeMarco did the same thing where he would, like, look for contact. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, DeMarco tor- towards the end of last year was, was really bad, but he's not as bad as – that wasn't as bad as Derrick Henry is right now. Would you rather uh, – this is an interesting question. I think I think I would probably rather have Henry. Would you rather have Henry or Murray right now? Assuming assuming that Murray hadn't retired and stayed in shape. Wow, I don't know, man. <laughs> I still think Murray could give you pass. So I don't know. That's that's really P- tough. People are gonna call this clickbait because I'm gonna put. Would you rather have Derrick Henry or 34 year old Adrian Peterson in the title? <laughs> And people are going to think this is like the new Skip Baelish show. 
Um, yeah, sure. But I mean, it's worth discussing because of just how poor Henry has played. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we'll talk about it later uh, with, um, with our guests. But I, these next two weeks could be could be really rough. I mean, the Bills and the Ravens have really good run defenses, uh, but we should be able to get out to a pretty comfortable lead against the Bills. And if Derrick Henry can't get anything going uh, when we're running the clock out and he's getting maybe 20 to 25 carries uh, and he's not popping any big runs, then then we need to be concerned. Yeah, absolutely. All right, now we are going to welcome Travis Haney of The Athletic onto the show. He uh, Travis joined the Titans beat uh, really toward the end of the preseason when The Athletic expanded their NFL coverage to the Nashville uh, market. Um, Travis has done an awesome job. You should definitely consider subscribing to The Athletic if you haven't already. And uh, we're going to welcome him into the show now and hop right in. This has been your first month or so on an NFL beat, and it's been maybe the weirdest month that any NFL team has ever had. We had the, the Miami Twilight Zone game that lasted seven hours. The Titans' number one receiver left the team that was a winning team over playing time disputes. Uh, the starting quarterback had an injury that no one seemed to be able to explain what exactly was wrong with him. Through two weeks of the season, a special teams player was the leading receiver. It just, It's been so bizarre over the last four weeks. It's like if you took any one of those things, it would make for kind of maybe a normal month, but then you start adding them up and adding them up. And to me, that's, that's the thing is, you know, I don't think I would have been completely floored if the Titans had gone three and one in September. It would have been, I think, a really good month given the schedule, but I wouldn't have been surprised. But then when you start adding in all those variables, it just, it almost defies any sense of logic that you'd have. And, but for anybody who's watched it, I mean, you sort of get it. Like you understand that it comes down to game planning and, the parts of the team, the phases of the team are complementing each other. That one, when there's a lapse in one area, the other group kind of picks it up. And I think that's why you heard today that Mike Brable gives the whole team a game ball. I think that's sort of exemplary for the whole month in my mind. You know, it feels like the whole team would get a game ball for the month of September, not just for that one win, but just sort of keeping it all glued together. I give the coaching staff the utmost credit the leaders of the team, a ton of credit. And it, it gives you a lot of hope if you're a Titans fan moving into the rest of the season because I, I was talking with a friend last night, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I, I don't know that there are too many more games that are difficult on the schedule the way that they look right now with what we know. Well, certainly not the, the one that this they week. Just play, than the two that they just played. I mean, at Jacksonville and Philly are – as, as tough as any game remaining on the schedule, and they just won both of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of, like, on paper, I think you're totally right. I mean, a lot of these teams, as you look at the rest of their schedule, other than maybe New England, uh, very flawed teams. And even you can make the argument that this isn't the, the Ravens best. look kind of good, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you can make the argument that this isn't the best New England team we've ever seen. But, and you got the Ravens, sure. the Patriots, but I think you're right. And it's funny because— They're both at home, too. Both home yeah. games. Maybe the Chargers in London, that's a tough one just because of, of where it is. But, I mean, we were talking just a couple weeks ago. I remember before practice one day, you said, you know, this is going to be really miserable covering this team when they're 0-4 and we have to go in that locker room. <laughs> and I think yeah. we all kind of thought that. 
Well, I, you know, first of all, I want to clarify that I wasn't necessarily predicting it, but if it happened, I mean, it just with the way it lined up going to that Houston game, they lost a tough game that took seven hours. They're probably going to be without their quarterback. They're probably going to be without their uh, left tackle. They're definitely going to be without their Pro Bowl tight end. It was just really hard to figure out a way that they could win the game. And even going into that weekend, that's how I felt. Even going to the stadium Sunday morning, that's how I felt. And and I think it was kind of just this eye-opening experience for everyone who had been a Titans fan, for everyone who had followed the team in any capacity, that things were different. That in the past, yes, that would have been a game that you could have chalked up to be an L. It probably wouldn't have been pretty. They probably would have lost by two or three touchdowns. But something about that fake punt, something about that first quarter with the Wildcat, you just demonstrated that something had changed. And I think we've seen that really every week since then, that if they went into a similar scenario, now I kind of almost have the opposite philosophy or mentality, which is I kind of just expect them to be competitive no matter what. And I think that was a change from week two on. Yeah, I've been really impressed with what Mike Grapel has done so far. Um, and we've seen glimpses of what the offense could be uh, under Matt LaFleur, um, especially this past week. Uh, but one thing, I guess, that's probably the biggest negative about the Titans so far uh, has been the running game, which has been nothing short of of lackluster. Um, and particularly Derrick Henry, who is kind of drawing the ire of, of fans lately, just because I don't want to say he's been running soft, but he he really just hasn't shown the type of aggression that we've seen him be able to, like in the Chiefs playoff game last year. And I don't think it's um, unfair to say that yesterday was the worst day of his pro career. Yeah, it, it just it was a culmination of a lot of things. I think I, I mean the Eagles' defense is fantastic; that they have one of the best fronts in the entire league. The Titans' run blocking has maybe left a lot to be desired. Uh, but when you have a player like De- Derrick Henry, who you invested a high pick on. Uh, you kind of want a a running back who can create his own space, create his own yardage, and we just really haven't seen that from Henry. Um, I kind of wanted to ask you if you think that maybe is a scheme fit, maybe if he's just in a slump, or it's just a culmination of the blocking and and a a couple of those things. Yeah, I don't think he was very good at all yesterday. You know, even in space, it just doesn't seem like he's able to get – free or it doesn't seem like he hits holes well it doesn't seem like he makes contact well it just seems like wherever mm-hmm. he's stood up he just goes backward or goes down um i'm still like i haven't completely made up my mind i mean i'm not just like this is a guy who's never going to pan out you know I, I think yesterday was the first time we'd all agree that the offense had been what it's going to be in 2018 you know there's no Delaney walker there's no richard matthews we get that. Uh, but every other piece that was in the game yesterday is probably going to be in the game the rest of the season, you know, injury notwithstanding. So this is what it's going to be moving forward. I just don't think yesterday was ever going to be a day for running backs to be successful with the way that Philadelphia game planned. And I don't blame them. I mean, if you're Jim Schwartz or you're on that Eagles sideline, what do you want to do? You want to make Marcus Mariota beat you with his arm because you don't even know how far he can throw the ball. I mean, that. That is a very sensible game plan going into that game. We're going to take the play the run. Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis on the ground are not going to be factors. You're going to have to throw the ball, really, to get the ball to Lewis and create almost like a long handoff. But we're going to make Marcus Mariota beat us, and he did. And I think that is why I can't necessarily just be like, okay, I'm, I've written off Derrick Henry. You know, This is just not going to work out. 
maybe we're saying that in a month. Uh, I, I think he has serious holes in his game. I think he has serious flaws in his game. But I think he can also be very complimentary in a role with Deion Lewis. And that's something the floor has said all along is it's going to be both of those guys. It's a Deion and Derek thing, not a Deion or Derek thing. So I, I think there's much to be less desired. And Derek Henry has indicated that himself. He's unhappy with himself. He expects more out of himself. So it's not just the fans that are saying. It's Derek himself. But at the same time, I think it's it's still too small of a sample size for me. You know, I, I want to see what happens when you have the full complement of the offense. What happens when the Eagles aren't stacking nine, ten guys in the box? Uh, if that's still happening then, yeah, I think we have a more serious conversation about Derrick Henry's long-term future in, in Nashville. But for now, I think it's it's a month, and let's see where we are in a few more weeks from yeah, and I think it might be a, a couple more weeks because the Bills and the Ravens coming up, and they have really stout run games. But uh, moving on from the run game, uh, we finally saw the passing offense come to life this past week. Uh, they were taking shots downfield. Mariota looked really comfortable. Um, and I think it, for the last uh, game and maybe two quarters, uh, I think in the second half of the Jacksonville game, Mariota really looked comfortable uh, within the LaFleur offense, even though he was still limited. Um, he was going through his reads really quickly. He was getting the ball out. Um, and he just looked probably the best I've seen him um, in a long time. Um, and in this game against the Eagles, that was the best we've seen him play in, in I don't even know how long, honestly, at, at least um, in terms of throwing the ball. Uh, do you think this Sunday was the peak of the Titans offense? Uh, or do you think we just saw some glimpses and and there's even e- even more fruitfulness to come in terms of production and in terms of um, what LaFleur can do and scheme up? Well, I think it does go back to the win game. You know, I think we saw probably the height of, if Marcus serves for more than 345 yards in a game, I'm going to be surprised. You know, I, I just mm-hmm. don't think the team is going to load up that much and give him that, that many opportunities downfield and one-on-ones. And I think that was kind of unique because, again, I think that was their game plan was they didn't think he was capable of that. And I don't blame him. I mean, we hadn't seen that. We didn't know that he was uh, strong enough in his dexterity or whatever was going on with his hands. We didn't know that he could throw the ball 50 yards in a rope to Corey Davis. We didn't know he could throw the ball 50 yards up to Darius Jennings, who should have caught it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I sort of understand where the Eagles were coming from, but I, you know, I think that's the high end of what we're going to see, probably from the passing game. But in terms of total offense, you know, to be in the 400s again, you know, look at the Rams, look at what they're doing. That's where this guy came from. <laughs> so, I think he's probably not satisfied with what just yesterday was, and, and wants to see more of those games as we go forward in the season. But I mean, you've heard Mike Vrabel from week one wanting to establish some semblance of a run game. I think he understands the need for balance, and I think there will be teams that uh, will have to respect Marcus Moore downfield and will have to kind of balance out the way that they approach a game. So I I think it goes back to the run game and trying to uh, kind of level out what we've seen in in the past three weeks. You know, against Houston and Jacksonville, they averaged 34.5 runs a game. So it's clear – they were trying to stay in the field and kind of short the game as much as possible with Marcus dinged up. Then yesterday they were happy to hear it out and, and show something new just because the Eagles were daring them to. So I think moving forward we'll see probably a little bit of both. But, you know, if there's one takeaway about the offense in September is the floor is going to take what's there. And, and I think we've seen in that month's time that this is why he's regarded the way that he is. This is why the Kyle Shanahan's, the Sean McVay's, 
um, the DeFilippos. I mean, that's why these guys are rising in the NFL is because there's a value in space and, and leveraging matchups and exactly what you've seen from LaFleur, even when he doesn't have a full arsenal. So I, I think it's, a, again, a very encouraging sign to see a first-time play caller, a young offensive coordinator, really kind of show his chops when he didn't have a full display. Now that he does, you know, I think you'll see a little bit more and a little bit more and certainly more balance. Someone on, on the Titans that I've been very critical of, really especially as training camp and, and the preseason progressed, has been Corey Davis. Because in his rookie year, I understand, you know, the, he had the injuries, he had the inconsistencies with the offensive play calling, and I get that. But moving into training camp this year, you know, the Titans were really expecting him to become their ex, their number one receiver. And throughout training camp and really the entire month of August, early September, we didn't really see anything from him that made you say, you know, that guy is going to be the next, you know, Mike Evans. That guy is going to be the next A.J. Green. To the point yeah. where when the when the Buccaneers were at joint practices with the Titans, watching Mike Evans, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my good Lord. And, and people think Corey <laughs> Davis is that, you know. But yesterday we finally saw it, and I think one of the key parts about his game that has improved the most and allowed him to have that breakout performance is he has become the aggressor. And what I mean by that is even in you know the good game against New England in the playoffs, there was nothing from him that you know was very aggressive. He made catches when he was open, and a lot of times he just wasn't open. But we saw it with the stiff arm on Kendrick Lewis against the Texans. We've seen him breaking tackles. We've seen him making plays after the catch. And now that Mariota is healthy and the Titans have their full offensive line healthy, he's able to make plays down the field. And most importantly, something that Titans receivers have, have really struggled with for a long time, he's made, he made contested catches yesterday. And all of those things kind of coming together at once is, is very encouraging. It has to be for Titans fans. Yeah, I mean, I think yesterday was definitely the breakout moment that everyone had, waiting for, had been waiting for with Davis, but you kind of hit on it. And I, I think he was way better in those first three weeks than maybe a box score would indicate, especially with all the different rotations of quarterbacks and offensive tackles and everything that was going on with the offense. I thought he was really pretty steady. You know, he makes a huge third-down catch against Jacksonville. You mentioned play uh, against Houston with his stiff arm on the sideline. I think he blocked extremely well. So I think he'd already been kind of showing signs that that was starting to happen. And then once you did have a a fully healthy quarterback, once you did have a fully stacked offensive line, he was finally able to display it. And and again, the game plan, it it allowed him to have that sort of game because it was putting him in those one-on-one situations. Uh, It was allowing him to get behind defenders I mean, give him credit. He, he ran the rest. He caught the ball in tough spots. But, you know, I, I think really over the course of the month, we've seen that guy. And the, the box score definitely went more of that yesterday than the other weeks. But, you know, I've been impressed by him really from week one on. I think even in Miami he showed up, but he's shown up more and more. And then, you know, I think that's great perspective, Luke, of, of thinking about how how scrutinized he was for you know the the miscommunication in the preseason game in Pittsburgh and how long ago that seems and, yeah. and just kind of this this shadow of, of doubt of, of what we think he should be or what a top five pick in the NFL should be uh, it just 
it was a long August, I think, for him in a lot of ways. And then even when the office had a lot of adversity, even at the quarterback position, he thought he, he shined in various ways, in small ways like blocking or uh, make third down catch like he needed to against the Jags. So now I, I would expect that this is who he's going to be moving forward. I don't know if he'll be nine catches for 161 yards good, but I'd, he'll continue to show up when you need him to show up. That is a massive development for this team because what 40% or so the offense had run through Richard Matthews and Delaney Walker in the last two years. So someone had to emerge and Mm -hmm. it's not just him. I mean, Taewon Taylor caught 16 passes last year. He caught seven yesterday. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's happening across the board. It's easy to forget Taji Sharp 41 catches as a rookie. And I don't know that he's going to get to 41 this year, but, you know, he ran a great route and caught a town for his own. So I think they're getting those contributions. They're going to need more of them. I'm a little worried about the tight end position, what you're going to get out of that spot. But overall, I think you got to feel really good about the young receivers given all the change at that position and Delaney Walker's loss. Now, last thing before we let you go, a little like non-Titans-related thing. We were talking before we came on about primetime NFL games and the idea of flexible scheduling and how it just always feels like there's four or five games every year on primetime that have no place being on primetime. I just kind of want to get your thoughts on on Sunday night football and this whole idea, because as I look ahead at the schedule for the rest of the year of Sunday night football, there are at least two or three games where, in my mind, there is zero justification for these games being on primetime. Well, how many Niners? There's what? Uh, five, six Niners games on primetime? Yeah, yeah, there's two of them on, on Sunday Night Football, which is supposed to be, you know, the game of the week. Back-to-back, week 13 and 14, these are two of the unjustifiable ones in my mind. You have 49ers Seahawks, which mm. if, if they played tomorrow, no one would watch. No one cares. C.J. Uh, Beathard yeah. versus Russell Wilson and whatever they have. Yeah, and the Seahawks were already on, what, Monday Night Football a couple weeks ago, too. So I think they're doing better. I mean, to flex out the Sunday night late in the season was smart. Whenever they started doing that, what was that, like five years ago, something like that? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'd love for you to be able to do that earlier, but I get it. I mean, it's slotted in a certain way, and contractually it'll be hard to get out of. But it's not good, it's not good for fans. <laughs> I mean, it's and, not and- good for entertainment. It's not not a good product but you know i I understand you got to play within a certain contractual spectrum but yeah i mean it'd be great if they could uh at least have more more moments like last thursday night you know i feel like the thursday night game has always been trash but to have one like that last week was like okay finally i mean people Mm -hmm. who were more apt to go to the college game on a thursday night were flipping over to watch rams vikings because it was that good so Hopefully they figure out a way, one way or another, to get more of those games on on primetime. And and then you look at week 13 and you have Steelers-Raiders. I mean, even like best-case scenario for the Steelers, they win out now until then. I mean, that's the Gruden factor in the Steelers. Like, I I sort of understand what they're at least going for. Uh, yeah, but the Niners, they're totally screwed with that one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and the same thing happened with Green Bay last year once Aaron Rodgers went down. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it tells you how quarterback-driven this league is, and and when there's an injury, it can be a big problem for TV. Travis, thanks so much for your time. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Uh, We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me.
Thanks again to Travis for being with us today. You can go follow him on Twitter, and please do, at Trav Haney, at Trav Haney. Now we're going to welcome our second guest onto the show. He has been working in some capacity, at least, with Titans Radio. Uh, I'm pretty sure the entire time that the Titans have existed since 1999. Um, He's Rhett Bryan. He knows the Titans as well as anybody else does. And uh, so we're going to welcome him into the show right now. So uh, one of the things that you were kind of talking about in the locker room after the game yesterday was how much yesterday's win reminded you of the 1999 team that won the AFC Championship and and nearly uh, won the Super Bowl too. What about that win specifically reminded you of those that team? Well, um, for for starters, um, the the actual season and the teams that were on the schedule for the Titans that year that were supposed to be really good and, and were weren't as good as advertised. And the Titans would grind out uh, specific wins over teams during that season where they went thirteen and three. I mean, you know, they sweep Jacksonville. And I think about the Jacksonville, the first game they won back in September of 99 in Jacksonville, it came an absolute monsoon. It was a rainstorm about like uh, the preseason game against the Packers back in 2014 at Nissan Stadium where it rained so bad. Um, And and it was just this really close battle to the point that, you know, Samari Roll picks off um, the quarterback, Mark Brunel, almost point blank there in the rain and just jumped out of nowhere and took that thing down at, it, at, at his apex. And, and so that was, uh, you know, a, a Titans uh, possession there. And then Jeff Fisher being Jeff Fisher, being the sly fox he is, he, he, you know, has everything ready for them to run the clock out. And Craig Hendrick runs out of the back of the end zone for a safety, and they sneak out of there with a one-point win at the end of regulation. Those kinds of things. Um, and then – you know, the Titans in 99 had adversity of their own because after the opening win there, the first ever regular season game at Nissan Stadium where they beat the Bengals in a come-behind fashion, Steve McNair had back surgery. He had a messed up back and was out for four games. And, you know, Neil O'Donnell went 3-1 and one in that span with a lot of help from the, a really good Titans defense. But so, you know, McNair comes back on Halloween Day um, – against the St. Louis Rams, who were really good at that time as well with uh, the greatest show on turf. And, you know, he ends up having a monster game, and uh, they end up beating the Rams. So, you know, they overcame things early on, and they just won lots of close ball games uh, in a slugfest-type fashion, just like kind of we've seen the last three weeks with this current Titans team. Now, I know that you and, and the rest of your crew, Jonathan and, and Philip Noel and Mike and Coach Matt, you love your jobs, but it has to be exponentially more enjoyable, not only when the team is winning like this, but, I mean, how are you guys not miserable during the two- and three-win seasons? I mean, you specifically having to plan that pregame show and trying to get fans excited about what was inevitably going to be the Titans getting blown into the smithereens. <laughs> Well, Luke, <laughs> it's funny. Um, you know that that span of 2014 and 2015, where they went five and 27. Uh, you know, it was a lot like the movie Groundhog Day. You're right. You play it all week, and then you show up on Sunday, and then you know the wheels fly off. Um, and I guess you know, first of all, we do it because we love 
what we do and and try to bring the best information that we can for all of our listeners that listen on any of our stations anywhere in the Mid-South. Uh, we do it for them. I mean, you know, recently uh, uh, we had a phone caller, and she's a regular of ours, <clears throat> that calls the Mike Vrabel Show, and she is she's blind. And she told Mike Keith that, you know, she understands what's going on because of the picture that he paints. And Coach Dave McGinnis had the same thing happen to him last week with a, a former football coach who is now blind. And he said, I can see things because of the way you call it. Wow. And that is the biggest compliment you could ever give any of us. And it lets us know we're doing it for the right reason. Now, to take that a step further, uh, yeah, that was a tough, tough stretch. And we've been through plenty of ups and downs, seasons, and those kinds of things. But Sunday, that win over the Eagles, those are what makes up for any of the other stuff. Yeah. I mean, that that completely made up for a seven-hour and eight-minute game in Miami in week one. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, one of the big storylines of the season so far <clears throat> is the way the defense has been playing. Um, and I think for the first time since 2008, I feel very comfortable um, calling this one of, one of the best units in the NFL. And it just seems like, like – the team a chance to win on any given week and we've seen that through four weeks um while they while they aren't as dominant as the two, 2008 team um per se they are giving up a decent amount of yards i think they're middle of the pack in terms of that but they're only giving up 18 points a game which is the sixth best um mark in the league um and considering uh how many of the rules go in favor of the offense um nowadays uh it's pretty amazing that that they're they're giving up that low of a number um, and I just want to get your thoughts on if you see any similarities between the 2018 and the 18 team, um, particularly on defense. Well, yeah, I, I think there are some similarities because um, that 99 and 2000 defense for the Titans uh, was as stingy as it gets. And the, I, I can't remember how many battles between the Baltimore Ravens, the Steelers, the Jaguars that they would squeak out of, you know, a, 12 to nine or a, like a nine to six against, uh, you know, Houston or Jacksonville, I should say. Um, but yeah, you know, they have good talent up front. Uh, now I don't think they have a Javon curse, but I'll say this, Harold Landry is going to be a star in this deal. Uh, you're starting to see him come on. I mean, hit that strip sack and, and force fumble that he had yesterday was one of the pivotal, pivotal changes of the game. And Javon Kirst did that countless times during that 99 season. I say repeatedly, he didn't have his 14 and a half quarterback sacks, which is still a rookie record 20 years later. That team probably isn't closer to the Super Bowl. And they had a lot of good talent back there. They had a good secondary, good linebacking core. But, uh, yeah, they have that Titans defense right now is starting to really feel its oats. And, uh, you know, I think the, the, the strange thing about it all is I don't know but what Dean Pease's defense isn't a bit better than Dick LeBeau's, and that's kind of crazy to say. Now, he didn't have Harold Landry yet last year, and he didn't have Rashawn Evans, but um, he's got a lot of the same pieces and parts, and uh, I think that's an intriguing part of this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to get your thoughts on something that's become – a bit of a not issue, but definitely a talking point uh, among Titans fans. Um, it seems that uh, and 
stadium. Uh, a lot of times fans would rather maybe stay at home and just watch the game from there than actually traveling to the stadium. Um, and there were reports. Uh, I, I wasn't at the game yesterday, uh, but all, by all accounts, the the Eagles fans just took over um, and, and had filled up at least half the stadium uh, in green. So what do you think? Why do you think that is that that Titans fans maybe aren't showing up to the games as much as maybe the fan as much as the team would like? Um, and what do you think the team could do to, aside from winning, which is exactly what they're doing right now? You know, I don't know that there is a magic um, formula to get those folks back in seats. Um, you know, there's I think it's a multitude of things between high definition high definition television and being able to see that at home. Now, if you've got a, a game where your team is, you know, not on the right, correct ladder in terms of how many cameras they bring and what, you know, broadcast team they bring to do it on television, you may not get those same advantages that you would. And obviously being there is totally different, but I think between high definition television and then if what I heard was true in terms of how much these tickets were being turned around for to these Eagles fans, I'm sure you had some season ticket holders are probably paying for their season tickets with what they got for giving up a pair or four <laughs> seats to this game, the Eagles fans. Um, Cause I, I, I've heard several stories where people made hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Uh, but to your point, winning is the only thing that really cures that. And every time they get one, like they got against the Eagles, I think that those, those things go back in the other direction to being a lot like it was all those years ago with the fans. Mm-hmm. When you guys are uh, calling a game, specifically like the one yesterday, where you know it's not it's not like the Packers game a couple years ago where the Titans just blew the Packers to the smithereens and everyone knew at halftime that the Titans were going to win that game. But when you've got a game like yesterday where literally you don't know until Corey Davis secures that catch to the ground who's going to win that game, what's the environment like in the radio booth during that? those kinds of games, and then what does it become at the end when it is a big Titans win like that? Well, it's, uh, you know, our our booth is normally pretty busy anyway during a game, and it just kind of ramps all of that up, whether it's looking at stats, you know, because you had a point there where Marcus was 15 of 15 before the Darius Jennings drop, and then there were three incompletions, and then he was, you know, back hot again after that. Um, just following trends like that, you know, we have sponsors that we have to make sure that those live mentions are done and correct commercials are playing and, you know, just looking for all the things that we need in, in addition to all the end game things about penalties and making sure we spotted substitutions correctly and, and those kinds of things. But as it hits a fever pitch, I mean, you can feel the energy in the, in, in the booth building. And of course, you know, Mike and, and coach Dave McGinnis just, you could tell they were really having a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun in our booth yesterday as that thing kind of went the right direction. But down 17-3 at half, you know, you're going, hmm, don't know what's going to happen here. But if they can make some plays, maybe they can climb back into this. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, you know, you could tell that the, the Eagles fans were there early on. And certainly with the Titans' raw offense, they were making enough noise. Uh but that got quieted towards the end, especially after that last play with Corey Davis. Over the years, what has been your favorite stadium to travel to? You know, I'd say there's a couple. Uh, 
in terms of what we do, where we are in the in the visiting radio booth, I really like Baltimore. It's close down to the to the fans, uh, closer to the field, and it's uh, much more wide and spacious than what we're normally used to. That's a great place to go. I always love going to Green Bay just because it's Lambeau Field. Uh, I think Seattle's a neat place to go see a game as well. But I'd say probably those three and then – you know, I probably could think of some other ones, but I'd say those three are the ones that uh, come to mind first. Last thing before we let you go, kind of a cliche in the NFL is, well, the players love their coach. And really, in a lot of cases, unless it's one of those those toxic environments like the Giants last year with McAdoo, something like that, the players are going to say they love their coach. And I don't have any doubt that the Titans legitimately loved playing for Mike Malarkey over the last two years. But it just seems different, and it feels different, being around the guys and, and, and just hearing the way they talk about Mike Vrabel. I mean, early signs point to the fact that Mike Vrabel was certainly the right choice for the Titans head coach. It really is interesting that you would say that because I've been thinking about that a lot, certainly in the last three games, but a lot today, uh, just after everything that's happened. And I think you're right. I think they did really like to play for Mike Malarkey, but I think Mike Malarkey was certainly much more conservative. Uh, and, and that's the thing in all of this, you know, is is Mike Vrabel shown his propensity to gamble and it for it to pay off. And so right now he's playing on house money. At some point, you hope this isn't the case, but as a rookie head coach, maybe he gets a little too aggressive and the, the risk outweighs the reward and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen, whatever it is, a completion, a first down, whatever, and it ends up costing him a game. You hope that's not the case, but I also have a belief that he is grounded enough to kind of keep those things in perspective. I mean, you see that video from his post-game locker room speech yesterday, and you're right, those guys have totally bought into this thing. And they believe, and I, that is a powerful thing. Uh, and that's why this game with the Buffalo Bills coming up is going to be such a huge deal because it has all the earmarks of a trap game. You know, you can say what you want about the Buffalo Bills, but they still have some really nice players, especially in their secondary. Uh, and they can play up to people. You saw what they did with the, the Minnesota Vikings. And uh, they, they can't go to sleep on these guys, but something tells me, just based on the vibe that I see, and you, you've seen it, Luke, these guys are grounded, and they're excited, and this should be one they can just go and get. They're overdue for a, quote-unquote, cruise control uh, win, yeah. where you can get out in front of somebody early, put them away, execute like you're supposed to, and go home with a victory. If they do like I think they will do, they will do that against the Buffalo Bills, and it won't be a trap game. Uh, I can't say that you would be able to say the same for any Titans teams in recent history who have seemed to fall prey to those things. It's it's a different culture in there. Yeah, and it and it would be nice to see them not have a game. You know, they played some tough opponents the last couple of weeks, but when you play yeah. when you play yeah. the Buffaloes of the NFL, those are teams that if you're legitimate, you should be able to handle pretty easily. Yeah, I think so, because, you know, LaShawn McCoy is dinged up, and I, I don't know that he's the same LaShawn McCoy of, of just a few years ago. Now, he went healthy. He's dangerous. But um, – and, and Josh Allen, their quarterback, that guy's going to be big time in this league. He can throw it a mile. But I want to see how he does when he's playing from behind, because he is a rookie, 
and I think that they can force them force him into some mistakes, uh, not only from playing from behind and trying to catch up making desperate plays, but just to get after him, whether it's Landry, whether it's Morgan, Arakpo, whoever. And, and Jarrell Casey, my goodness, that guy may be playing the best ball yeah. of his career right now mm-hmm. to, to kind of enforce all of that. And then you have Daquan Jones and all those other guys just kind of helping wherever. Uh, and, and Jayon Brown, what a game he had against the Eagles after mm-hmm. Woodyard gets you know knocked out with a shoulder stinger. So, but uh, yeah, they you sh- they should be able to take advantage of of matchups and should be able to go out and put them down early, keep them down, and lead with a win. Rhett, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming on. I'm glad to do it. Glad to do it. I'm be glad to do it again sometime. Yeah. Especially, you know, after the Titans are winning, it's, it makes all of our jobs easier to talk about things uh, when they are winning and everybody's happy. I mean, no you, doubt. You, that, you can very o- true. You can only write so many what went wrong for the Titans today articles yeah. in one season. Well, and Luke, that's exactly right. Because when you were asking about, when you guys were asking about all those lean years, uh, you know, in 2014, 2015, you run out of silver linings rather quickly. You just try to narrate the story as best you can and, mm-hmm. and keep going. And, and uh, yeah, you run out of silver linings quickly. Whereas now you're talking about all the contributors. Yeah, you can talk about what they need to do better. But, uh, you know, the fact that they have done what they've done in the last three weeks is pretty doggone impressive. And the coaching staff in this thing is huge with that. Uh, they played much Two, uh, two very clean games in the last – I mean, think about that. They had eight penalties for 60 yards in the last two games. Mm, yeah. uh, that's a lot cleaner deal to this thing. Uh, you know, half the penalties of their opponents the last two weeks. And, uh, and, and you know, when you, when you talk about doing, wow. when you talk about aggressive head coaches, that often is a problem that teams run into is, is because they're so aggressive, they get over-penalized and they go from aggressive to just being stupid. Right, because whether they're playing through the echoes of the whistle till it's too late and you're, you know, guys throwing a hanky on you uh, or, or whatever it is, you're right. There, there tends to be a lack of discipline there. That's the thing I think is also interesting in all this is that there's a, a fine line because Lord knows we've seen Taylor Lewan cross that line many times and get a 15-yard penalty that ends up costing them something. Um, but that's that's something else that's impressive in all of this is just – uh, making sure they've been prepared and they've executed well and they have not really hurt themselves in these last three weeks with something like that. They've been able to overcome it. And I think the strength of the team with the differences in personnel, you know, Marcus being out, uh, you just got your two tackles back together that you drafted high to make sure that uh, the quarterback's protected. You know, all of these things that they've overcome has just strengthened this team by appearance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again, Rhett, and, and we will definitely take you up on that. We'll, we would love to have you back on sometime. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. And you can go follow Rhett on Twitter, at RhettBTennessee. That's at RhettBTennessee. Um, that's going to do it for us. It's been a fun recap episode. It's always fun to recap a game that is as fun and exciting as the one the Titans played on Sunday Later in the week, we will be back to preview the Titans' upcoming matchup against the Buffalo Bills. Be sure to tune into that. Uh, But that's going to do it for us. For Matthias Wadner, I'm Luke Worsham. Thank you for listening to the Titans Size Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and all of our other platforms. We will talk to everyone later in the week.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.